Hi, Megan. Hello, Chastity. I'm so happy to have you. So Megan is one of my friends in real life. Um, and how long have we known each other? Oh, like probably 20? a long time, 20 years. Uh -huh. I don't know. It's Walmart. been a long time. I don't feel old enough to know somebody for 20 years, but and we actually went to the same high school that we didn't know I was each about other. To say, right? my sister. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I was in your little sister's grade. That's right. Um, and then we reconnected whenever we started having a bunch of kids and you had a bunch of kids. And I don't even remember how we did that. I think we were both homeschooling. Homeschooling. Mm -hmm. And somehow reconnected. So yes. I'm super happy to have you on. You are you. like a wealth of information. You're so awesome. Thank You're just you. like one of these like amazing energy ball. Like whenever I see you, you give me energy. Oh, so. you're sweet. I love you. <laughs> you. Okay, so uh, why don't you tell us about yourself and your family, uh, your kids, all that stuff. Okay. Um, well, I am, um, I have been married for 26 years uh, to Steve, and we went to high school together, all the same high school. And um, Steve and I have had four children living, um, Maggie, we have a 24-year-old, all the way down, a 21-year-old, an 18-year-old and a nine-year-old and um along the because way excitement. we have seven <laughs> we have seven children and god willing in heaven so um we are um very blessed with all of those um people and um what else let's see i have uh, had a winding journey to kind of where i'm at now um I started off with a bachelor's in child development and thought, well, you know, I'll just teach preschool or teach little kids or whatever. That was kind of my thing. And then as time progressed and I uh, realized that preschool um, was not really it, I ended up working for ECI, which is a program here in the state of Texas that works um, with children zero to three years old that have any type of delay or disability. How did I and forget this? I yeah, I, so I did that for you. three years, um, and I loved that job because it was a mix of social work and child development and therapy, and I just fell in love with that position. And then we had Maggie, and I stayed at home, uh, homeschool. Okay, so hold on. In ECI, yep. what what was your role? What did you do? I was, um, oh, what did they call it back then? I was a um, caseworker, okay. but I was Case an intervention specialist or something like that. Like okay. I. I went in and kind of evaluated a baseline of where the child was, set up their their therapies, made sure they were getting all the things that the child needed, um, worked with just baseline developmental type things. Um, and back then it was all paper and pencil. That was pre-computer laptop stage. So, um, but it was a lot of being on the floor with the children in various types of homes, which was, it, of, it was very social work. It was great. It was love. It was wonderful, but it was very social work. So I was on the east side of Fort Worth, and that's a whole. Don't you story. love? Um, you know, because I'm practicing right now in home health, and I love yes. going to people's houses. I like, do too. I'll go from yeah. like a two million dollar house in this exclusive yeah. neighborhood yeah. to like a government funded one bedroom apartment, and it's just like my favorite thing to meet yeah. people where they are. In their environment and just get to experience that in the different cultures. I love that so much. You know, um, funny for a, a couple of summers, I worked for um, Head Start here in Fort Worth and um, during college, and we had to make home visits before the children came to preschool. You had to make home visits. I thought that was the most profound way to encounter a family that I was getting ready to teach was to go and let the child tell me about their world now granted it didn't really i mean it the teacher i was with it did because these are all spanish-speaking families and i was not bilingual so um but the children really got a chance to say introduce the teacher to their lives and i felt that was the most profound way a teacher could impact you know um, come into contact with a child is by meeting them in their turf first you know right. so because um, you put them in this um, that's how I feel too, because I've worked in the clinic, the hospital, now the home. Yeah. And I'm like, I can teach you all kinds of stuff in the clinic, but honestly, you don't have that equipment at home. Yes. So like being able to yes. really assess what do you have, what, you know, 
yeah, you have to meet them where they're at. And like you said, the million dollar family is going to have access to a, it's a very different environment than the section eight housing family. And, um, but I, I, I loved those families that, that didn't have all the resources or the mom needed some help in education or whatever. Then you felt like you were really doing that, making that impact versus, you know, just cranking out a child in a clinical setting, you know, a bump, a bump, a bump. So it's like sterile. So, um, so anyway, uh, stayed at home and homeschooled our children and had, um, our three children and, um, did a variety of things in the interim. And then, um, through a series of events, we ended up having, um, Amelia ended up being the one, the child who God pulled through and let us have, and it was wonderful. And so when she was born, um, the other, the kids were older, they were nine, 12 and 15. So, um, and at that point, um, I was, when Amelia turned about three, I was offered a job at a Montessori program here in the Metroplex in Dallas, Fort Worth. And when that happened, I realized that, you know, I really enjoyed that idea so much. Um, I'd always been interested in children's uh, development and how they developed. And, um, and I've always been interested in abnormal, I hate that word, abnormal development, um, diversity and think- development. Yeah. That's always been something that's been interesting to me. And so, um, in the course of all of this, our third daughter, um, our third child, Emma, ended up becoming diagnosed. We we knew she was a lot of energy, but we didn't quite know what was going on. Um, and um, boy, that was a that was a journey. So in the middle of all of that, we had her diagnosed um, with combined type ADHD. Ended up being that is one aspect of it, but she also has high functioning autism, meaning she's extremely verbal and she, um, fakes it very well. So, um, people don't look at her and say, Oh, um, I can tell, you know, there's something different or whatever. It's not until you start having conversations with her and you realize you're basically talking to me because she has mimicked all of my, um, syntax and all of my verbiage she says what I say. And so, um, so very little, yes, very little of what she says is original. Um, and, and sometimes it is, but most of the time it's not. Um, but she has just a really struggles with social interaction. Um, peers don't make sense to her. She loves old people. She loves the young babies. She loves mm-hmm. animals, but she just can't figure out peers. And so, you know, she knew- was always so kind and so good at communicating with Dominic. She, she was loved my son who was nonverbal. Yes. Um, like yes. what a gift. Most people can't communicate with him, but they can communicate with peers. She can communicate with people, the older, older people and the disabled. Like it's such a beautiful, Oh, I don't know. God has, God has given her such an amazing gift that she is able to meet. She knows no strangers, which obviously could be an issue. Um, We've had issues with it in the past, but she knows no strangers and she is excited to see everybody and loves everyone. And especially old people just eat her up because she just, she will talk to them and she cares and she, you know, so she also has a little, a few learning disorders. She has what's called nonverbal learning disorder, which means that, um, Basically, it's not her words that are the problem. It's her eyes, um, reading, comprehension, that type of thing. Um, okay. And then she also has um, dyscalculia, which is um, math. Dyslexia has to do with words. Dyscalculia has to do with numbers. And so um, those are those are two. Um, and so when you were receiving these diagnoses, how did... Mm-hmm. How did you respond? How did you react? Did you have a period of grieving or mourning or did you just were like, okay, just going to go with it. And how was it for you guys? It was hard. Um, It was hard on a lot of levels. First of all, her behavior was just off the charts hard. 
Um, her behavior was very violent. Um, and I violent as in, um, punching holes in walls, um, getting, she had no, um, bubble. We call it a social bubble where we kind of keep our distance. She had none of that. So she was, if she was angry, she was literally a half an inch from my face screaming at me. Um, she just couldn't regulate herself. It wasn't even about, it wasn't about, um, us being good or bad parents, which realistically, and we all do, we question our our parenting. Um, um, it was, it, and we, but I had to remind myself and I had to read a lot. I read constantly was training, was just learning anything and everything I could get my hands on. But what I realized through prayer and through good therapists and good counselors was that she just wasn't able to regulate her body and everything about her was extreme. Her ADHD made it extreme. Her autism made it even more challenging to understand and process sensory issues. She has sensory issues. Um, She's definitely the autistic kid who has two foods, chicken nuggets and macaroni and cheese, and that's where she stops. (laughs) And that's what she likes. (laughs) You know, um, that is best. That's my motto. As long as there's food somewhere, (laughs) some sort of food, you know, it's what you can do. Yeah. Um, so with all that being you know, said, oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say that I, I love that you brought up counseling and therapists because I feel like this is a stigma with, I mean, even in the, the community that we're in, right. Of yeah. mothers who have yeah. these like profoundly impactful children and our yeah. life is so different than quote unquote, normal mothers. But there's yeah. still the stigma of like, well, that means I'm weak if I go to counseling or if I go to oh. therapy. Like I've been on I, so many antidepressants, been to so many yeah. counselors because yeah. it's hard. And I feel like that's a conversation that needs to be had to let other people know that that's okay. And that not only is it okay, but like, it's good. If I can give any mother or dad any inf- any advice at all ever in my life, it's one thing. Go find somebody you trust to talk to and talk to them. And if you can have insurance, um, ask for pro bono. I don't care what you do. You have to have a release somewhere. And if your release is in a good, healthy one, please know from experience, it will not be a healthy one. It will be, it will be, um, it could be drinking. It could be marriage issues. It could be your own violence, your own anger, your own frustrations. It could be even those of us that grew up with some, some struggles, it could be, you know, our coping mechanisms get flared up really bad. There's just a lot. And I got therapists for her and I got therapists for my family and I got therapists for myself. And so good. Um, I had to do that because my children were hurt by what was happening. My other children and um, my older children, they were yeah, very, they're kind of the forgotten people in the whole story, oh. right? I mean, the, the kids are always forgotten. They because, are because they're so good. Yeah. Good, as in, I hate saying that. There's no good and bad children. Good as right. in behavior-wise, they never rock the boat. Well, um, they're not putting holes in the wall. So you're like, right not- now I've got to deal with this emergency. And yeah. And they sit yeah. there. And so I had to make them purposefully. Once I was aware, cognizant, really aware of what was going on and the trauma that my older two were experiencing because of Emma's extreme fluctuation in her behavior, then I had to set and go say, okay, realistically, they need me too. And I have to be, um, I have to be this uh, presence to them that is unwavering and it's not going to go anywhere. And, um, and, and for a lot, for them, a lot of it was scary. And rightly so. That is scary. Yeah. And so you know, and uh, it, it, when you live in this pressure cooker environment, whether it's, yeah. you know, a kid like Emma or a kid like Dominic, yeah. you're going to build up steam. And I like what you said about having that release because it's going to release. It's either going to explode and put a hole in the roof or it can release in some other way. And I think that's the tricky part for a lot of parents like us is figuring out like, what does that look like? And then forcing ourselves to take that step. Cause 
I don't know how you are, but I tend to not do the healthy things and I just wait to explode and then everybody pays for it. <laughs> it's not great. So I like, I want other people to like, don't do that. My tendency is not healthy. And my tendency is actually honestly to run away. And I had to fight many times. Uh, I had to talk, think this is where I have, and our spiritual life becomes literally the foundation of who we are. Um, but my, if my husband and I had not worked so unbelievably hard at all of this, um, we would not be married today. And I know that the rate of divorce amongst children families with children that have any type of delay or disability or anything is high. And it's, it's high like because it's 85%. I just looked it up. It's like it's between 85 and 87 were the numbers I was finding. It's astounding. I mean, really, it's, it's astounding that anybody makes it through it. And having, and then you, you and Mike, and, and, and I mean, the two of us, we had to make each other the priority and recognize that if we don't do that on purpose, then we were going to die. We were going to fail. It was going to dissolve. And, um, and in the midst of all of this amazing, crazy stuff, um, I was in a severe car accident, which I'm sure you remember. Do you remember this? Um, I so actually have a lot of memory loss after Dominic's death. So well, I don't remember that. So tell us. About I do it. too, but because I got hit in the head. So you're <laughs> Okay, now I remember. I remember you getting hit in the head. Okay. Yeah. It's all coming back. <laughs> no, no. So Emma was uh two and a half. So our she was the the baby and the kids were all young and I was uh hit head on um going down the road over here and was in ICU for a, a week. Um and I have oh a huge memory loss for two years after that. I actually have no memory of the accident itself. You don't so I had to still... build myself back up. Like I wasn't I was not able to read and mem have memories. I was not, I still have entire swaths of memories missing. Um, oh it was really crazy. The kids, anyway, it, it was hard. So it's like add all of, so Steve had just gotten through this. Oh my God, my wife's going to die. Emma is bouncing off the walls and ricocheting off the walls. And the older two are just like, you know, we can do this. Sure. And <laughs> luckily we have family in, in town, but with Emma, they didn't quite know how to handle her. And, um, she has always been a wild card. It's been hard. Um, and my family, it's kind of play by the rules and the rules don't change and you do what is expected. And so when that happens or when it doesn't happen, like with Emma, and you have to pivot constantly and make some changes constantly, then they are that, that they struggle with pivoting themselves. And so, you know, it's hard to ask people to help when they're not quite sure how to do that. So um, I think that's an experience that a lot of families have is like not having a big pool of people. You can't just call some up and be like, Hey, we need a babysitter for a couple hours. No problem. Drop them off. You know, it's like, well, let me give you a six hour course. And then if you're and, still willing to do it, you know, and you guys, you guys know this too. And for us, it was behavior for Dom. It was medical, but right. You know, um, the behavior, if you're not, Emma escaped from our house twice when she was a toddler and we found her running down the street. I promise you guys, I'm a good parent, <laughs> but yeah. when you're petrified, CPS is going to be called because of your child's behavior. Um, we became fairly reclusive and, and I became reclusive. I wouldn't take her places. And with her sensory issues, she, we took her to, a. um, I remember once we took her to an IMAX movie, the movies inside of the museums. And we took her into this movie. And she, as soon as the sound and the lights started, she screamed so badly that you could have thought I was murdering her. I mean, it was so intense and terrible. I literally just scoop her up and haul out of there. But then my children are by themselves. And so, you know, it's this crazy cycle of stuff that is and always it like breeds isolation, right? Oh, so then you're like, it, we're just going to stay home. 
And so then you're isolated, which breeds to more depression. It's like this cycle. It's terrible cycle. It's so hard to get out of. Yeah. It's terrible. And, and it's hard to find people who get it. And, and I, and I appreciate all of my friends have all been wonderful and have all been sympathetic. Um, but they're not empathetic. They don't understand exactly what it is that we have gone through, endured, um, because that is a level of trauma <laughs> that I it would is. never. It's a true trauma. It is. You know, and that's that. That's the whole thing. I felt like. I mean, yeah, this is for children with complex medical issues. But then the more I go into it, I realize. We're all living the same life, whether you have a child on the spectrum or you have mm -hmm. a child on a trach and ventilator like mine, it's the same thing. You're isolated. You are in the cycle of depression. You have mm -hmm. major trauma. It's the yeah. same thing, you know? And I hope that people listening to this conversation can relate and be like, oh, I'm not the only one. I'm not crazy. Yeah. No, you're not crazy. You're not. You're not. Because <laughs> people are talking yes. about it and we want to talk about it. Yeah, PTSD is real. Everybody, we all real. have it. And, and if you have a child who, whether it's been from birth or you just realized at the age three or whatever the case was, PTSD is real. And it's my older children have it. I have it. Um, it's easy to blow off. It's easy to name it something else. But in reality, um, we were living with a ticking time bomb and we just didn't know when it was going to blow. And, yeah. and it's so real. I, I feel like a lot of people don't realize that, or maybe, you know, they have the symptoms that they think, oh, PTSD, that's for people who've been in war. Well, you've kind of been in war right. too, right? right? You've been in like, war. You, yes. you have. You, it, the war looks different. It's yes. a war in your house, yes. but it, it still is. And I feel like that also needs to be normalized amongst, because I think if, when you don't name it, it's still there, but you're just yeah. like, what's wrong with me? Why am I like this? But then when you're able to give it a name and those symptoms come up, you can start to be able to rationalize, okay, there's not an actual emergency. I'm sweating. I'm, you know, feel like I need to fight somebody. Like that's, that's what mine looks like. This is yeah. just PTSD. And then you can kind of ride it and move on to the other side. It, it, it got its name. I mean, you know, generations have dealt with this of some variety and sort. Men came home from war, women came home from war, and they were debilitated by the experiences they had. Um, and they experienced things that no human is supposed to experience. Um, we've experienced ch children that did not fit the mold that we had in our minds. And because of that, that in and of itself was a trauma because we had to adapt so severely to something so different, you know? Um, and it's, there's an, there's a story or an adage, and I'm sure many of you have heard this before, but it's the idea that um, you pack your clothes because you're going on a trip to Hawaii. So you're packing for this amazing trip to Hawaii and you have your bathing suit packed and your shorts and your towel and your sunscreen and all these things. And you're ready to go because in your mind and your plane ticket even says you're going to Hawaii. You get on the plane, you're having your drinks. Yeah, you get off the plane and you're in the middle of Iceland and it's freezing cold and it's, you need, you have nothing. You've not prepared for this at all. And it's dumped you in a completely different place than you in your mind had thought you were going. And, um, and that's what we've all had. We've all experienced this. Um, yeah, and absolutely. I don't think I've ever heard a way it described better. You know, it's, it's, it's really, um, that sticks with me because that's how I felt about all of this journey that I realized that it's, um, I, I've got to adapt fast. I've got to find a parka. I've got to find some snow yeah. boots fast. And figure and out I, how to make a shelter. My bikini ain't going to fly. <laughs> <laughs> you packed a bikini. Ooh, look at you. <laughs> the fact that I and I don't wear bikinis, but the idea, <laughs> it's a great I one. bought my first bikini this year since I was like a teenager because I'm in that point in my life where I'm like, 
can do Forget. what I want to do. Get on you. That's right. So I call it a momkini because it's like real high. It's like only this much of my stomach shows. That's like, right. I got a momkini. <laughs> and it's, and it's, those are good battle scars to have, right? I mean, we have all these stretch marks right. and all these things, you know, we call them our battle scars, but we earned every single one of those. So right. I remember, um, I, the, the story that I can relate most to with PTSD is making Thanksgiving pies. I was making an apple pie and a cherry pie for Thanksgiving morning. And in the middle of it, hearing Dominic's ventilator come off and you can kind of hear the swooshing of the vent. It makes a particular sound that your ear becomes trained to. And then he starts beeping. You can hear the beeping. It doesn't stop. There's a nurse in the room. So I'm just kind of like waiting. All his monitors are beeping. I, I better go just check. And the nurse had just frozen. She was standing there holding the ventilator tube. He's laying on the bed, totally gray. Like he was past blue. At this point, he was gray, totally lump. And so I run in there, I move her, and then I start resuscitating him. And so that takes however long it takes. I don't even know. Got him back breathing, got him pink, got him all hooked up. And then I went back to the kitchen and I just started making pies again. And I remember like stopping in the middle of like rolling out pie crust because, you know, like I was making yeah. it from scratch because I was being extra and yeah. um, just being like, this is absurd. This isn't like, real. Like I just saved his life and right? I'm making pies. Right. I'm like sitting here crying, shaking, yeah. cutting up apples for this pie. Yeah. And, but that's like normal life when you oh. have, I mean, it's, you know, like your, your, your PTSD came, you know, in a different way. Yeah. But it's normal life that people with kids like this have to deal with. And then you're like, well, Thanksgiving's happening, whether I just saved my kid's life or not. So I better get these pies in the oven. And there's, and, and for every Thanksgiving after that, it's changed every Thanksgiving after that. I'm I think sure about it, it every single time. Yep. Every time you look at a pie, it changes that. I, and it makes yeah. me want to, I, I, I'm tearing up because I, I'm thinking about the times that Emma did absolutely lose it and punched a hole in the wall or came after me and I was thinking I should call the police or whatever she ended up doing. Um, I had such a, um, uh, a fight or flight response. Of course, my adrenaline was pumping. I was freaking out. I was worried about the safety of my other children, blah, blah, blah. Um, and in the same vain, I'm thinking, how can I help my daughter? This is my child. This is my little girl. And I need to help her. How can I calm her down? And of course, you just do what you have to do. And and once I get her calm, this is the this is the insane part of my side of it is that once I got her calm, or I removed her from the situation and got her to kind of settle herself, within five, twenty well, within five, between five and 20 minutes, she would come out to, to the room and she, nothing happened. Hey, da, and everything's great and fine. I'm still over here panting and my heart's still going a million miles an hour. And I still am thinking now, what do I, the other two children and are they okay? And I, should I go talk to them and how do we deal with this? And oh my gosh, and I need to call Steve and da, da, da. I, I'm still coming down off of this and she's over here bouncing off the walls again. And that nobody knows that they don't understand how I'm dealing with that. And then I, and so then later that day, if you go out in public or when I went to Thanksgiving dinner, it's right. like, um, we had a, we had a pretty hard morning. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Because how no. do you explain that? No. You know what I you, mean? You know, oh, I saved Dom's life this morning. Just letting you know, yeah. you know, everything's great. Just resuscitated him, gave him some sternal rubs. He's bruised up. It's fine. He's alive. And that's the right. truth. Yeah. And if, and if it's, and if it's his life or if it's your other children's or your life or it's whatever, it changes you. It's changing your brain chemistry. It's changing everything about who you are. Um, and that's scientific. That's not Megan. That's scientific. That's just what's happening during PTSD is that your brain is re is is going back to what it thought were its original settings, but we've changed the original settings due to all of this trauma. Right. Um, and so now 
we have to come up with new settings. And so well, luckily, you're now mothering from this new setting and trying yeah. to figure out how to not activate your PTSD on just regular life. Yeah. Right. Somebody spills milk. You're having to tell yourself this is not an emergency. That's right. You know? And or, or she she answers me in a certain tone or she calls me in a certain way. And I'm like, okay, she's just wanting to know something. She's not upset. She's not angry at me. Um, and it's, it's hard. It's hard for somebody who doesn't hear their voice regulation and their tonality and doesn't have the um, intonation that's appropriate most of the time. Anyway, she's either extraordinarily loud or whatever the case may be. So you're the one who's constantly having to pivot. It's not the child, it's you and the chi and the other people in the family. It's it but it's definitely not the child who's going through all of this. Right. And then that's what about a level of Go ahead. That's what. What a, what about the siblings? So mm -hmm. for us when our oldest who's now 17 he was little. Dominic was a baby. So however old he was, seven or eight, and we mm -hmm. had an emergency. There was no nurses in the house. I was there alone. Mike was at work and I was like yelling at him because I needed him to bring me some emergency equipment. Um, yeah. yeah. And I'm like, get it now, go now. Yes. And so like, yeah. and he's freaking out, yep. but Dominic's blue, you know? And so I just always think about that, how that incident, and I'm sure there's a lot of them, has rewired their brain and how they see the world. And they sure. weren't, they were kind of robbed of this normal existence and this normal childhood. And mm -hmm. I like to think, well, it's going to make them more resilient in the future, but also I don't want to just say that and sugarcoat it. Yeah. You know? right. How do you right. feel like your children, I don't know, has it made them more resilient? Mm. Has it made them more empathetic? Has it made them angrier? So, um, they each reacted differently. So there were only the, um, um, Amelia had not, Amelia hasn't, um, she has a, the baby, she's the nine-year-old has a very different version of childhood than the older two do. And, and isn't that the way in any family that has grows up with trauma that every child kind of comes away with something, a different version of what they experienced. Um, which is rightly so. Um, but our oldest who um, grew up with, I mean, she was um, six when Emma was born. And so she, her reality was always, it was every aspect of Emma's development. So, she, and um, our son was three when Emma was born. And so he was a little younger and had a very, um, in a lot of ways, less traumatic and to some degree. Um, but he, but I also think it's his personality. He dealt with it differently. Um, so Maggie, the oldest, um, I'm sure. Well, she, um, well, and you don't have to speak for them because they're adults. Well, yeah. What, so, what I see now is a lot of distance for all three of the children. There's a lot of distance. It's just hard for them to connect. Mm -hmm. And I see that in the way that um, when, even when we just get together for Sunday dinner or whatever, um, they try and they all try in their own different ways. And, um, but it's hard. It's hard because they're scarred and mm -hmm. they have things. And a lot of it comes with maturity and know that with time, it doesn't heal all the wounds. It doesn't do that. I think it changes them in a different, puts them in a different perspective and puts them in a different light. Um, and that happens with maturity. That happens with your own trauma. That happens with a lot of things. Um, but. Yeah, absolutely. They, and, I, and I feel like, I don't know if you can relate to this, but I feel like I had this idea of what our family was going to look like. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I so did. And, and then it doesn't happen, right? And but now yeah. I'm like at a point where I'm okay with it. Like mm -hmm. life's yeah. messy and I'm okay yeah. with that. And I'm yeah. kind of glad that we don't look the way I thought we were gonna that we should look, quote unquote, you know? Right. Um, right, right. 
that like the messiness uh, we have a um, 17, 15 and 14 year old and it's just real life and they're going to screw up and they're going to make mistakes. And I kind of like, I don't know, I guess having this experience has made me less stressed out about that stuff. Like it's going to oh. be okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? Do you, can you I, relate to that? Yes. Because, um, my oldest is now not, it's not just because there's a human, there's a huge age difference between my oldest and my youngest, but I am a different person. I am, I refuse to let things get me. I refuse to, there are so many more important things that I can get wound up about and whether or not you're going to choose to do what I've asked you to do is like, then you're going to have consequences. Montessori has helped with that too. A lot of, of the understanding that children are going to make mistakes. We embrace mistakes. However, I have a better grasp of their development and what should be expected of them and how they should, how they think about things and, and each stage of their lives. And so I've, I've got a better context now, but at 25, you know, when I was having children and going through all of this at 25 and 30 years old, um, I didn't, and I didn't reach out and I should have reached out. So there's so much pressure too. Like when you have a bunch of little kids, so mom shaming, I hate mom shaming. It's everywhere, yeah. right? If you're on the internet, yeah. you're being mom shaming. Not even on the internet. You're a part of a mom's group. You're going to you be in a no other mothers. Yeah. You yeah. You're going to be mom shamed because someone's always going to be doing it better or always. telling you they're doing it better or whatever. Um, I mean, I feel like that is the gift of having this like, quote unquote, imperfect family. Like no family's perfect, but obviously so. Yeah. Is this kind of like, I don't even want to spend time thinking about you and your perfect life. Like I'm so fine with losing those relationships. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. I don't know. Not in a utilitarian way, but yeah, I don't know. Okay. There's some freedom in it kind of, I don't know. And I think that um, for any mom out there that is, or dad that is prone to checking out and going scrolling on the web and doing those types of things, um, which I was, um, try not to don't just find got to find something else and it's it's almost the lesser of evils but if um you know and there's a part of me that's like I would rather you go binge on a pint of Ben and Jerry's than scroll on Instagram and see what all these perfect families are doing because I feel like in a lot of ways those perfect families are so much more detrimental to our psyche and our self-worth than a Ben and Jerry's, a bucket of Ben and Jerry's. Right. And Um, you'll enjoy your ice cream much more than you will watching the matching t-shirts on vacation. I'm telling you, we probably had an entire um, budgetary section just for ice cream and Megan's (laughs) ice cream moments. But um, see, I'm I'm a salt girl. I'll eat a whole bag of laced potato chips, but I only need like a scoop of ice cream. So that's my husband. He, yeah, I'm a baker too, which is even worse because I'll just bake my way through. Bake your way through trauma. That's a lot of things. That's what we do. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I was talking to another mom recently and she has a very complex medical kid. And even there's this like, I don't know if you've seen this, probably not, right? Because I'm on social media, um, got a social media presence, so I'm on it a lot. But there's this, there's this kind of trend of, well, therapists are showing their skills, right? So they're posting every day their skills of doing therapy. And of course, they're going to post like this kid got better. This kid improved with this therapy because they're promoting their business. Nothing wrong with it. But when you have a hundred of those that you're following and your kid's not making progress, that can be, that can play a huge mind game on you, you know, or you see like, well, this kid's also disabled, but he can sit up. My kid can't sit up. And so you're always playing this game of cat and mouse where you can't win because it's not real. It's curated. So I was telling this mother, I was like, I was like, oh, you have to realize they're running a business. So they have to show how great they can do therapy because that's what their livelihood depends on. It's not all real, right? I mean, like it's real, but they're not posting the kid who's been working on sitting for five months. Right. Right. 
we all want the magic bullet. We all want the magic bullet. It's easier to want the thing that's going to make the miracle pill, the thing that's going to work. We all want that. We want that to lose weight. We want that to fix our budgets. We want that for everything. Um, Children don't work like that. Children are human beings that have their own timeline and their own progression. And um, you can't set that progression. And you have very little control over so much of that. Um, And so much of that is up to their brain development, their, their sensory development, their body's ability to heal, all of these things. Um, and when we think well, in our desperation, we want, and believe me, I've done a lot of these things. I've, we've done um, many of these brain centers and, and we've done um, fixed diets and we've done all of these things. But at the end of the day, She's still a child or now an adult that that's a whole nother conversation. She's and she's still a child who needs help and who needs somebody who's going to respond to her in a loving and caring way and know that wherever she's at, she's still, she's okay. She's good. And, and she's received that way. Um, the greatest mistakes I, yeah, the greatest mistakes I made was, was, doing the opposite of that was demanding something she couldn't do or demanding something that was beyond her um tell trying to have her stay still at a time you know that she physically was unable to she was over had too much sensory input and i couldn't keep her still and i was demanding her to stay still well that's just unrealistic why would i do that to her um but you have to give yourself grace too, though, because it's a learning absolutely. process for you. Oh, you know? absolutely. Just for and all of us. We're all, we're all growing up at the same time they're growing up, you know? It's true. <laughs> it's, it's so there's true. There's no manual. <laughs> Didn't you think when you were a kid, like, oh, by the time I'm like 27, it's like old. And then oh. you're all of a sudden you're 40 and you're like, I still don't feel like I'm grown up. I still don't know what I'm doing. My husband and I joke only because we've been together since we were teenagers. And so, and I mean young teenagers, but he and I joke a lot. We're both 50 years old and we're like, you know, I still feel like I'm 16. Like I really don't feel Mm -hmm. in my brain. And that contributes to a lot of issues. (laughs) But at the end of the day, but at the end of the day, um, I think that um, that's, you got to think that's them too. So, you know, if your child has autism or ADHD or learning disabilities, I know of that realm, that puts them socially and emotionally at least three years behind their peers. And so know that they're not going to be, I mean, our 18-year-old Emma is just now playing with Barbies. She never in her life played with Barbies. And it's not until our nine-year-old showed her how to play with Barbies that she was able to do that. Um, and, and so she still carries, she carries around baby dolls. She has these little life-size baby dolls and she loves it. it, She says, mom, it brings me, it makes me calm. I said, okay. So now we have to put some parameters around an 18 year old walking around with baby dolls because I, we've got to talk about that in a way that she understands it because it's a coping mechanism for her. Um, and, and, but she also has to live in reality. She has to live in the real world and the real world is going to dictate what the reaction she's going to get from people. That's just the real world. So I'm just preparing her that if you do this, you walk around a store with a doll in your hands. This is what people are going to think. And I just want you prepared for that. I don't put judgment on it. I let her make that decision. And if she looks at me and says, okay, fine, I don't care. Then okay. I obviously don't care either at this point. (laughs) And I have to be real about the fact that this is her coping mechanism. And just as a child would need a wheelchair, she needs this doll and we need to do the thing. Um, You know, I always said that I think it's easier. You know, you can't label what's harder, what's easier. Yeah. It was easier for me to have Dominic because anyone could look at him and see his disability. 
He can't walk. He can't yep. talk. He has a trach, you know, yep. obviously. Yep. But I think yep. that like with Emma or with, you know, children on the spectrum, it's those hidden disabilities are <sighs> so difficult because the world is just a bunch of judgmental hags, right? <laughs> and they're going to judge everything. And yeah. if they can't see it, I don't know. Is that such a, like, did you, is this a difficult thing or is that a loss for you? Like her carrying an 18 year old carrying a baby doll or are you at a point where you're like, I don't care. Um, I care and I don't. And um, that's a great question. Cause I have thought about that a lot recently. Um, she's 18 years old. She has not finished high school. Um, we're probably just entering or doing a sophomore year equivalent of a sophomore year in high school. Um, we, Steve and I have had the conversation that we're, she's going to be with us for the long haul. I don't see any shift for her to move out at any point soon. That could change. God willing it does, but I don't see that. Um, and it's, I have said numerous times what you just said. I wish, I wish God's plan for her was to have what she has and to be who she is. Um, my human side says, but it would be so much easier if she had Down syndrome and you could see it, or if she had, you know, whatever, um, then it would be easier, but easier. It's socially for acceptable. Socially right? acceptable. Know what to expect. Yeah. And every mom who has a child with Down syndrome wishes, may wish something different, may not. But, I, you know, we all look for the grass being greener somewhere else. Um, and I guess in now my seasoned life, I have realized that I need to just be accepting of what it is. And what is, is this child needs something radically different than my other two children did. And that's okay. We just need something radically different. And so my job is to now help her navigate this world with her set of glasses that she has. Um, and, and how do we get you from point A to point B in a way that won't cause a meltdown or anything traumatic to happen? Right. Um, and it's easy for it's easier for me than it is for my husband and i think for steve it's still a struggle um to meet her needs where they're at because you know yeah. we all come up with we all come in with baggage and something so i was going to ask you about that um how steve how your husband has dealt with everything like i feel like I don't know. We talk how many times a year? Twice. But yeah. I can sit down and just tell you, bear my deepest soul to you. Because one, I know you're going to accept it. And two, I think we're just more comfortable with that. But I feel like when we had Dominic, Mike was like, okay, my job, I go to work. I make sure every the family has what they need. You know, yeah. like it's a very kind of utilitarian. And then, you know, I mean, he's a wonderful dad, he's a wonderful husband. Um, but he dealt with it very different. I dealt with like depression, PTSD, yeah. that sort of stuff. Yeah. And yeah. he did it. And even after Dominic died, we've dealt with it totally different. Partly probably because he's like, well, I can't lose it either. I mean, also because then yeah. our family's going to go down the drain. So he's kind of forced to be this stronger, hold yeah. everybody together. Yeah. Um, so how has your husband dealt with everything? Um, it's hard. I, um, he sees, I think what's hard is interesting. And for anyone who does have autistic children, you may relate to this is that he sees himself in her sometimes. And he is, looks at her and says, Oh, uh, I kind of do that too. Um, and when that happened, I think he was a little bit of self-realization. That was kind of a, an awakening of sorts. But on the other side, he grieved the fact that, um, am I a burden on you, Megan? Am I, are, are, do we struggle with that because of me? Um, and it is different for guys. They're, they're raised in a, 
with the men, at least for the gen, whatever I am, the 50 year olds. <laughs> I don't know um, we what were, generation we are either. I don't know what generation I am, but whatever we were raised by baby boomers and these baby boomers were not about this. They just didn't, their parents didn't show emotion and emotion, at least from where we were from, they didn't talk about it. And so they were just kind of used to not talking about feelings and, or anything. And so they just didn't. And so then we get this, we're in this place now where, where Steve and I are trying to do something better. That's our whole purpose now is to do something better. So what's better? What's better is communicating, even if it's hard. What's better is crying, even if it's embarrassing. Um, whatever the case is, we're just trying to do better. And and that means there are times that I can't fix it for him. And there are times that he can't fix it for me. And we're we just have to be okay with that. And it's not pretty and it sounds really simple, but it's not, it's not clean and neat. Um, it gets I love messy. that so much, you know, marriage did, I don't know, maybe, maybe you didn't think this, but I thought like by the time, cause we just celebrated 20 years in December and mm -hmm. I, I was like, wow, I don't, first of all, I don't feel old enough to be married for 20 years. Apparently no. I am. Yeah. And second of all, um, I feel like we are still growing so much. We're still figuring out who each other is, I guess, because we always change and evolve, right? Um, mm -hmm. But it's kind of like this beautiful mess of, I don't know. I mean, I just feel like it can still get better every year. We still are figuring out how to be married. We've been married for 20 years. We're still making a choice to, every day, choose the other person. Yep. You know, and I think that when you know, especially people who have only been married a couple of years and they have these kids mm. that are difficult or special mm -hmm. needs. I to know that in my perspective, it gets better. I remember somebody saying, you know, year seven is the hardest year. That's the year most people get divorced. I, I don't know if that's made up or whatever. And I remember we hit year seven and I had like so much anxiety, like this is it. This is the test. And then like life, the rest of life happened. Yeah. And I'm like, year seven was nothing. That was nothing, but oh. going through all of the trauma and all of the stuff, yeah, I don't know. It just makes you choose that person again. I just love that life's messy, I guess. I guess I didn't realize how messy life was, and I tried to make myself fit into these little holes that I didn't fit in, mm -hmm. which always made me feel bad about myself. And now, like, coming to this realization that, like, no, life is messy, and everything's a disaster, and that's okay. It makes it interesting. There's some freedom in that. What I, I think is, um, with every quote unquote hard thing that happens, whether it's financial, marital, children, death, whatever, um, it's all in how you choose to respond. It, it, you have to make a choice. If you're going to choose to respond in a quote unquote healthy way, then your outcome will be a very different outcome than if you are prone to drink and you go and chase beers instead. Um, your responses dictate how all of that's going to look. And, um, and we had to make some really hard decisions about how we were going to respond. And so part of our response was to give each other a hug instead of tearing each other down and or judging. Because the way I respond is not the way he responds. And I can't expect him to respond in my way. I, I mean, I, I want it, but, you know, I, I just, it's not fair to him. It's just like I would talk to my daughter. You know, I, I can't expect for her to be doing quantum physics when she's never even grasped simple addition as, and I can't expect him to understand um, all the complexities of my needs when he's struggling with his own, you know? And, um, and so, so then I had to go and, you know, self-care is no joke. You got to make that happen. And I think that has been trivialized over time in a lot of ways. And it sounds like, you know, pedicures and manicures and stuff. Definitely. It's not, I, that's only one aspect of it. And I think that if you 
if you self-care for me does look like pedicures, especially in the summer, um, but it also looks like time to pray and meditate, time to um, be by myself, really be by myself. Like I'm, I'm not answering to anybody and I take a half day and I just go or a day or more yeah. than that. Um, I mean, that's, that's your key to survival. And I think self-care for a lot of people looks like get up and brush your teeth, put on a bra. Absolutely. Sure. Get out of your PJs. And on those seasons. We absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there the, were days. Yeah. yeah. I couldn't get out of bed. Yeah. Same here. Couldn't I mean, get out of bed. <laughs> with, with Dominic, I had to, because he was on a ventilator. <laughs> yeah. Right. But well, right. after he died, I had my year of watching teenage vampire shows and laying on the couch, literally ordering ordering queso from Torchies as if we were just rolling in money. Like I can just spend money on queso. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. What better thing to spend money on, but queso from Torchies. Yeah, I'm a sorry. good cup of queso, I feel like will solve a lot of problems in the world. If everyone oh my- just had some queso, it, it, everything would be a lot calmer. <laughs> That's why I love queso. You love ice cream. I no, I'm 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 with you on the queso because oh, Torchy's okay. queso is a bit of heaven on earth. So if y'all don't have torchies where you live, I'm gonna pray for you. <laughs> and I'm gonna I'm gonna pray that it comes to where you are because oh. their queso will make you cry. Do you know, I, Megan, that I had bread pudding once that made me cry? That was culinary like, experiences like that need to happen in your lifetime. They do. I was like, why am yeah. I crying? Because it was the best bread pudding in my life. I think I was always already primed to cry and it just like brought it out. Oh. Even thinking about it's making me want to cry. I I'm am a, a crier. crier. And, and anybody. You? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm crying thinking about things that you're talking about and just reliving things. If We're you're both going to get PTSD okay. from this from this interview. Sorry, just cry. No it's a new level. <laughs> oh, no. I'm going to go get queso when we finish, and I'm you're going to cry too. <laughs> oh, we'll go, you... we'll go together. Um, I think that that's where therapy comes in for you personally. For me personally, that's where therapy came in. Was that I was given permission to do the right things or guided toward doing the right things versus choosing the wrong things. And there are many aspects of my life that did not lend themselves to making good choices. And so that's my default is to make poor ones. And Mm -hmm. so if I'm given this, the tools, you got to have, like I talk about, many people talk about tools and a tool belt. And if you don't have the tools in your tool belt, you're not going to build a house correctly, right? You're not going to build whatever you need to build the best way you can build it. You're going to end up trying to use a stapler instead of a a hammer and a nail. So the, the tools that I had to learn were that I breathing, one of them was breathing. Um, one of them was, you know, um, being kind to myself and not beating myself up just because I, things were going wrong. Um, you know, you, you got to come up with these tools. You got to be able to vent to somebody who's safe um, and somebody who's going to understand and somebody who's going to just listen. I don't need anybody to fix it. I just need you to listen. Mm-hmm. I just need you to listen. Yeah. You have to release the steam or else you're going to explode. The pressure pot is going to sure. explode. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I don't want you, it, to- you know, I, I think coming from, for people who, have a faith background or they believe in certain faiths, sometimes it can be like you pull your pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you know, yeah. which is impossible. Um, yeah. Just as long as you have faith, like that's all you need. But I don't think that's true. Like I, oh, no. faith is one I of the most say- important things in my life, Yeah. but also using the other tools that we have, like therapy and, you know, oh, the stuff yeah. you learn in therapy. It's so I don't know. It's so important, I think, to destigmatize people of faith God also gave, going to therapy. I truly believe that in whatever version of the higher power you believe in. I mean, I've been to AA, so I, I know about all the higher powers and people, their versions of them and all of that. But 
your people are given specific um, talents and treasures for a purpose. And sometimes those purposes are to help each other. And if their talent is to listen, then then allow them to use that talent and allow them to be um, available because we can't live in, human beings do not live in isolation. We don't. Um, and that's probably our biggest problem right now is that we have, we are the most connected we've ever been and the most isolated we've ever been. Amen. And so um, if people are not willing to reach out, even walk into a church and just sit there. You don't have to do anything, just sit there. Um, and I'm not trying to advocate for everyone to be, come a certain religion or anything. I'm just saying that we're given these hard things. We're not given these hard things for no reason. There's just, it's not this, it's, there's no randomness to this. You are the best parent for your children. And that is the truth. You are. And you may not feel like it, and you may not think it all the time, but you are. And it's no, you, the child was not given to you just because that DNA mixed the right way. No, it was, that child was given to you for a reason. And yeah, embrace that. You know, <laughs> and what we're talking about with all this, I think about parenting, like if you're scuba diving, um, you're underwater, you're so focused on like keeping this kid alive or, figuring out how to navigate this world and just parenting in general. If you don't come up every once in a while and do things like go to therapy or do self-care, even if that self-care means taking a shower, shave your underarms, you know, right. just do basic right. hygiene, eat, eat food, eat. real food, like yeah. eggs <laughs> and, you know, yeah. uh, not just uh, stuff you can grab quick. Yeah. I think you're going to drown and your kid's going to drown too. And your family's going to drown. And yeah. so it's not this, I mean, I love a good pedicure, but realistically, you know, that's not what self-care looks like for most people. No, and so it's a budget killer, actually. <laughs> it's, it's a huge budget killer. And, you know, so um, anyway, I yeah. feel like there's, there's just the thought with women in general and then mothers on top of that and then special needs mothers on top of that, that like it's so selfish if you do stuff for yourself. But no, if you don't, not. everyone's going to drown. Everyone. Because you're kind of, you, you have the air source for the family. You, you are literally the lifeboat of your family. And I'm sorry, that pressure is real. And I get it. And I understand it. And I feel it. But when mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And, um, and that's the reality of a family. That's your unique role in the family. Mm -hmm. And so push all this, push all that other stuff aside and recognize that it's okay to ask for help and people want to help. Like I love helping everybody. I love helping people. And I, but if you don't give me the opportunity to help, then I'm not going to help you. Like, I don't know that you need anything. I can't read your mind. Um, and those people that said, Hey, what, well, any, those people that said, Hey, Megan, you know, could I just bring you dinner tonight? Man, they became saints in my book. They became the absolute epitome of, of human existence in my book because they just, they just did it. And, mm -hmm. um, and I think every mother, regardless of if they have children with disabilities or not, sometimes they just needed a meal. <laughs> They, they need somebody to just throw a meal at them every once in a while so that they can just have a yeah. night off. Everyone needs a hand. Let's normalize feeding other people. Oh my gosh. I feel like I mean, I've been on the receiving end of everything for yeah. forever. And yeah. Uh, yeah. So maybe this new phase of life, I can help do that. Megan, if there's, um, one, if there's one thing that you want to leave one one more gym. I could talk to you for seven hours, but I, I think we're gonna have to. to. I know, right? Next time we're gonna get queso, um, <laughs> and it's just gonna be an hour of us eating chips and queso. It'll be live from Torchies, right? <laughs> live from Torchies, exclusive. Um, Margaritas in hand. Oh my gosh! You know, um, um, but if but 
I'm going to have to have you back on a bunch. You're just going to have to be a regular because I love talking to you. Your perspective is so rich and so important and so valid. And um, I think a lot of people are going to benefit from it. But if there's, is there one thing that you'd like to say before we end today's podcast? Um, know that you're important and that your role in this child's life is important. And it's the best thing you can do for your child is to take care of yourself and to know that you and your marriage and to know that you are important and um, your children think you're important. And even if they can't verbalize that. So um, yeah, it's, it's oh, a hard. You just journey. gave me goosebumps. I'm going <laughs> to cry. I've got goosebumps. Now I went queso. What are we going to do? <laughs> Oh, well, it's wonderful. You know, Megan, I originally had you on because I wanted to hear about Montessori because you're a Montessori educator. Didn't yeah. you? I mean, you ran a Montessori school. So um, for everyone who's interested in that, we are going to hopefully, hopefully one day we're going to get to Montessori because I think it's really important. It's a cool way to educate people that right. have, um, well, just humans in general, and then especially people that have disabilities, how that can serve them. So, oh, I love talking about kids. Let's just talk about kids. Yeah, we can talk about that. Sweet. Sure. <laughs> okay. Sure. Thank you so much for coming on. You're such a gem and you're so authentic. I love talking to you because you're so authentic. And thank you. You just like, you're like, here I am. If you don't like yeah. it, see you later. And I love that. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Right. And I love well, it. Have a great day. Thank you so much. And we can't wait to talk to you again. Thank you. Take care. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh -huh.